Here it is. From deep inside your radio. I'm going to start uh, referring to you as gang or guys, as opposed to ladies and gentlemen, because I, I see that's, that's what the kids are doing. Hey, guys. Guess what we're at to, up to? Guess what, I, guess what I'm up to, guys? Uh, this, there are only four weeks left, ladies and gentlemen, for uh, you to fly to London. Or if you're flying to London anyway, for you to just come around to the Theatre Royal Haymarket in, the, in London's West End, which is their version of Broadway, to see uh, a play I'm in called Daytona. Good reviews. But more importantly, the theater is air-conditioned. Yes, London is uh, warm and muggy, basically like New Orleans without the air conditioning. What a good idea that is. They're going to they're gonna figure out air conditioning is necessary in a couple of years in London, given the way things are going, if you know what. If you know what I mean. Hey, we haven't hey, we haven't talked hey guys, we haven't talked about formaldehyde lately. In uh, the latest environmental black eye for lumber liquidators, this according to interiorsandsources.com, independent lab tests show that Chinese made flooring sold by the chain emits formaldehyde at levels far above the level requiring cancer warnings under California law. That's according to a lawsuit filed this week. Lumber liquidators a um, supporter of PBS and perhaps NPR as well, so I'm sure you'll hear about this on their programming, but just in case, Lumber Liquidators claims on its website that all of its flooring comes from mills certified as compliant with California's standards for formaldehyde. But the plaintiffs in the suit conducted more than 50 tests of the firm's Chinese-made laminate flooring using a variety of different testing methods and sample batches. Test results showed average initial formaldehyde exposure over 100 times the amount allowed to be sold without a warning label under California law. Formaldehyde is a common ingredient in the glue used in laminate flooring and other pressed wood products like those sold by lumber liquidators. During and after installation, it's released as a gas that causes burning eyes, nose and throat, irritation, coughing, headaches, dizziness, joint pain, and nausea. Long-term exposure formaldehyde is listed as a known cause of cancer in humans. None of the stores where samples were purchased uh, of the, formalde- of the uh, lumber liquidator's product had a so-called Proposition 65 warning required in the state of California. No warnings were provided at the time of purchase over the Internet. Buyer beware. In, in fairness, they also used to sponsor Paul Harvey. So they're Catholic, or at least Episcopalian in their choice of broadcast uh, partners, I think we're supposed to say. Partners. Now, ladies and gentlemen, in case things... In case the neat lines uh, haven't really dispelled themselves for you totally yet, the neat lines, the neat sort of magnetic filings arrayed into uh, linear patterns that give you a sense of how the world really is, in case that hasn't been totally disrupted for you yet, uh, a couple of items this week. One, it, it came to my attention today on a broadcast carried on CNN International. It may have been on CNN's domestic service. Some of you who deign to watch that might might let me know. A story about a uh, civilian aircraft, hundreds of passengers aboard, shot from the sky. The uh, aircraft was Iran Air 655. It was shot down by missiles from an American ship called the USS Vincennes in Arabian, in, uh, sorry, Iranian waters, in 1988, 
Yeah, sounds familiar, doesn't it? Now, given the fact that we're demanding the Russians apologize for something they haven't admitted yet or hasn't been proven yet, the United States uh, admitted fairly quickly that it was missiles from the USS Vincennes that shot down that civilian airliner, killing all the people on board. Innocent people, Iranians, but still innocent. The U.S. has never apologized to this date. Eight years after the event, it uh, did allow itself to be hauled into an international court where it agreed to pay compensation to the families of the victims eight years later. So we'll, the clock is ticking on the Russians. But speaking of the Russians, so they're the, they're the bad guys now, right? The Iraqi government, that's the government we set up as our gift to the Iraqi people. You know, demo- here's some democracy for you, babe. That government Friday confirmed that it has begun to accept attack helicopters and warplanes from Russia. Deal intended to bolster the foundering military effort to retake the nearly half of Iraq lost this year to militants. This is a report from McClatchy newspapers. MI-35 helicopter gunships and SU-25 fighter bombers, part of a multi-billion dollar arms deal that was signed before the militants from the Islamic State stormed through northern and central Iraq. There's little sign of the use of six Russian Su-25s that had supposedly been hurriedly rushed to Iraq. Little sign of their use, likely because analysts say there are few trained ground crews, pilots, and infrastructure to support the three-decade-old aircraft. Almost, almost like the uh, militants and uh, and the uh, insurgents in, you know where. An agreement to train Iraqi pilots to fly modern F-16s from the United States appears to have stalled over security conditions around Iraq's main airfield in Balad, north of Baghdad. The contractors who were conduct the training, who were to conduct the training, were evacuated when I and Islamic State forces threatened the base. Military analyst for Jane's, the British military consultancy, said the lack of maintenance on the Russian jets and also on Iranian jets sent to Iraq along with a lack of experienced pilots and ground crews would make it unlikely they would get any kind of operational use out of those aircraft if they got them off the ground. But the new Russian deliveries announced Friday on Iraqi television should change that. The refurbished Su-25s, as well as advanced helicopters, will be in flyable condition, presumably. The uh, Iraqis have been flying Cessnas equipped with Hellfire missiles and have been also uh, flying cargo planes with improvised barrel bombs, the same kind of bombs that do such damage to civilian areas when flown by the Syrians, the Syrian government in Syria. But, of course, those are the bad guys. We don't complain when the Iraqis do it, do we? How are those iron filings doing? They're lining up nicely, aren't they? Hello, welcome to the show. won't be the same without Madonna. That's where we used to meet each day And then we used to sit a while Drink our 
Afternoon tea, London, England. I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. By the way, the then Vice President of the United States, George Herbert Walker Bush, said apropos of the shooting down of Iran Air 655, I don't care what the facts are, I'm just not an apologize for America kind of guy. Unquote. And now he's not a general. He commands no troops. He's not an Inspector, General. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is news of Inspector General, ladies and gentlemen, for your listening, whatever. I mean, sorry, guys. Hey, guys. I got some news from Inspector General for you guys. And it's right here. A federal investigation shows the St. Louis Veterans Benefits Office mismanages one-third of the disability claims it processes. It both overpays and underpays qualified veterans. So it all evens out, doesn't it? Really? There are 12,373 compensation claims awaiting processing at more than 50 regional benefit offices, including one in downtown St. Louis. Uh, The acting director of the St. Louis Regional Office agreed with the investigators' recommendations to improve performance by focusing on benefits claims. The investigation looked at more complicated claims, so the overall performance might be better, according to the report. Most of the inaccurate disability claims were caused by office staff delaying the scheduling of medical exams. For a period of nine months, the staff attributed the delays to workload demands. I'm just too busy. The Environmental Protection Agency is not doing enough to prevent millions of tons of methane from leaking into the atmosphere from natural gas pipelines. According to the EPA's own Office of Inspector General, it found that while Department of Transportation's Pipeline and Hazardous Materials Safety Administration regulates pipeline leaks for safety, the EPA has no regulations regarding leaks. Refined natural gas is almost entirely methane. About 25 times the global warming potential of carbon dioxide is methane. Gas pipeline leaks two years ago amounted to the equivalent of 13 million metric tons of carbon dioxide emissions, or about 2.7 million cars worth a year. The leaks cost more than $192 million a year, which is passed on to consumers. Were you happy with the leaks you paid for? I liked mine. The EPA has a voluntary program to address methane leaks, but its efforts through this program have resulted in limited reductions of methane emissions from pipelines, said the Inspector General. This is largely due, 
the report continued, to financial and policy barriers, including disincentives for distribution companies to repair non-hazardous leaks. Guess they're only hazardous if they result in, could result in fire as opposed to methane leaks, you see. President Obama's climate action plan, along with its methane strategy, calling the EPA to find ways to reduce methane emissions, but the OIG said the EPA is probably, probably not doing enough. The agency needs to address additional issues to better assess progress from the voluntary program and determine if future regulations are warranted, said the report. The EP needs to set goals and track its progress in reducing emissions, reducing emissions from pipelines through its voluntary program. The uh, inspector general also recommended the EPA work with the Department of Transportation on a joint regulatory program to stop natural gas leaks from both safety and environmental standpoints. Wouldn't that make sense? Wouldn't that be a wonderful world? The EPA also needs to evaluate its data on natural gas leaks. This would be a good idea since it currently relies on 18-year-old studies. That's that mean old EPA the right wing keeps warning us about. And speedboats for a landlocked nation, a soybean planting program in a country that eats no soybeans, airplanes rusting on the tarmac, part of the litany of waste from the $103 billion spent by the U.S. in Afghanistan. This is from the Inspector General, of course, for Afghanistan Reconstruction, John Sopko. He says by the end of this year, the United States will have spent, since 2001, more money on reconstruction in Afghanistan than on the entire Marshall Plan to rebuild Europe after World War II. Yeah, but look at Europe, guys. Since becoming Special Inspector General, Sopko and his 200-member team have been skewering U.S. agencies, according to Agence France Presse, for pouring money down the drain as well as shining a light on U.S. and Afghan officials for corruption. Probably billions of dollars wasted, Sopko told Agence France Presse in an interview. We've built schools that have fallen down, clinics that there are no doctors for. We've built roads that are falling apart. It's massive. Who says we can't do big anymore? We spent too much money, too fast, and too small a country with little oversight. The $34 million spent on a project to grow soybeans is symptomatic of such waste and an overbearing attitude, says Sopko, that we know what's best for Afghans. Well, excuse me. <laughs> excuse me. Who's got the NFL, huh? We came up with a brilliant idea, says Sopko, but we never talked to the Afghans. This is the soybean growing idea. The Afghans don't grow it, they don't like it, they don't eat it, there's no market for it, unquote. Aside from that, Mrs. Lincoln, how did the program turn out? But, but they make great mulch for the poppies. The fear now is that as international troops leave by late 2016, there will be even less oversight of U.S. spending. Another $20 billion is still in the pipeline, some 6 to $8 billion a year, for the foreseeable future into Afghanistan, ladies and gentlemen, where the Taliban are, according to the New York Times, enjoying military successes in areas close to the capital this summer during the height of the fighting season. How's your fighting season going, by the way? Just thought I'd ask. 
Sopko is warning U.S. lawmakers not to go cold turkey. If we stop the reconstruction, suddenly we run some really grave risk because the Afghans can't afford the government we've provided for them. That's right. We built them a structure they can't support, so we have to continue to. It's a legacy. They cannot currently pay for their police, pay for their military, pay for their hospitals, pay for the roads, pay the salaries. So if we suddenly end this, our intentions, our initial reason for going in there could really be put at risk. But as U.S. troops withdraw, so will the 40 Special uh, Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction staff members. They can't be left without protection when the military withdraws. All U.S. government agencies should be already putting into place contingencies for keeping an eye on the funds, said Sopko, although he voices surprise at the lack of urgency he's detected. Oversight, quote, has got to be mission critical. It's got to be built into your program. It can't just be a black hole, unquote. Really? You don't think? Just watch. Dude, just watch. And now... What the frack? For more than a year, the Center for Public Integrity, (laughs) Integrity, along with Inside Climate News, have been reporting on air pollution caused by the fracking boom on an area of South Texas known as the Eagle Ford Shale Deposit. Despite hundreds of complaints from residents, many of them about noxious air emissions, the uh, two agencies... Inside Climate News and the Center for Public Integrity, discovered the state of Texas knows almost nothing about the extent of the pollution and rarely finds companies for breaking emissions laws. If a state regulatory agency, residents ask, in this case the Texas Commission on Environmental Quality, isn't doing much to curb the industry's air pollution, why isn't the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, that mean old EPA that wants to run things? The EPA is ultimately responsible for enforcing the Federal Clean Air Act. In February, after... They published their first stories on the Eagle Ford area. They tried to get on-the-record interviews with EPA officials in Washington and Texas. Five months later, no interviews have been granted. Most transparent administration in history. Something must be wrong there. Around one million gallons of fracking wastewater has been spilled at a site in North Dakota, close to a drinking water reservoir. The reservoir supplies drinking water to the Fort Berthold Indian Reservation. Oh, well. Oh, well, then. It's not yet clear whether the water quality has been compromised as a result of the spill. Yeah, they can drink fire water. The wastewater is a leftover product of hydraulic fracking in the area, being transported through a pipeline which runs along the shore of the reservoir. Good locating. The above-ground pipeline carrying the wastewater ruptured over the July 4th weekend. The spill wasn't discovered until four days later. About 24,000 barrels of the wastewater was released before the spill was stopped. Wastewater from fracking is about 10 times saltier than seawater, Mm, salty, and contains other potentially harmful components, such as fossil fuel condensates. Me, I like my fossil fuel condensates. They have a certain tang, certain uh, kind of tang. The water was being removed from the fracking site for disposal at the time of the spill. Currently, there's no sign of the reservoir has been contaminated by the leak, according to the EPA. The agency said the majority of the wastewater is pooled in the area it's spilled, and the beaver dams have stopped it from spreading further. We'll fly in some more beavers. Despite the fact that the wastewater is unable to spread much further, the chemicals and salt content of the water could cause environmental damage. 
it might have been lessened had the spill been identified sooner. Spokesperson for the Farrah Club uh, highlighted a number of recent spills that have taken place in North Dakota, which has uh, enjoyed an oil boom over the last few years. The region has experienced four spills lately, with three being the result of lightning strikes and a fourth being blamed on a cow rubbing against a tank valve. Those damn ca- more about fracking. California officials have ordered an emergency shutdown of 11 oil and gas waste injection sites. This is where the waste from fracking is injected back deep into the earth. You know the earth appreciates that. California officials, I say, have ordered a shutdown of those sites and a review of more than 100 others in the state's Central Valley, which is currently experiencing a major drought, historic drought, out of fear the companies may have been pumping fracking fluids and other toxic waste into drinking water aquifers. State-issued cease-and-desist orders earlier this month to seven energy companies warning they may be injecting their waste into aquifers that could be a source of drinking water, stating their waste disposal poses danger to life, health, property, and natural resources. Orders were first reported by the Bakersfield Californian. I wonder if they're still publishing daily. And the state has confirmed with ProPublica that its investigation is expanding to look at additional wells. California's agriculture industry is coping with a drought that has emptied reservoirs and cost the state $2.2 billion this year alone. Lack of water has forced farmers across the state to supplement their water supply from underground aquifers, according to a study released by the University of California, Davis. The problem is at least 100 of, 100 of the state's aquifers were presumed to be useless for drinking and farming because the water was either of poor quality or too deep down. Years ago, therefore, the state exempted them from environmental protection and allowed the oil and gas industry to intentionally pollute them. Weren't we nice? Where's the gratitude? But not all aquifers are exempted, and the system amounts to a patchwork of protected and unprotected water resources deep underground. Now it appears that at least seven injection wells are likely pumping waste into freshwater aquifers protected by the law and not the ones sacrificed long ago. Did you ever know, you who live in California, that we we did that? Isn't that nutty how that happened? And finally, frequent rumbling tremors beneath the earth may be a common occurrence in California, but Oklahoma has now surpassed California in the number of earthquakes felt this year, a trend that is surprising geophysicists and raising concern. It's actually very surprising to us as well, says uh, Pasadena, California-based geophysicist Elizabeth Cochran. She's with the Geological Survey. Between 1975 and 2008, only an average of two earthquakes, 3.0 or greater, would occur each year in Oklahoma. Since 2009, the number has climbed exponentially, and there's no signs of slowing. A dramatic increase in that time, said Cochran. We're seeing a steep increase with 183 quakes occurring in a six-month period. Cochran said the rate will continue to climb in the future based on the current data. Of course, nothing continues based on the current data, but... Changes in pressure near faults in Oklahoma that surpass the fault's critical pressure threshold are likely the cause of the surge in seismic activity. The cause for this increase does not appear to be natural. This is according to AccuWeather.com. The cause has likely been induced by fluid injection. That's the disposal of wastewater by the fracking industry through the creation of wastewater wells deep into the ground. That can lubricate existing dormant faults, 
You don't want to lubricate dormant faults, ladies and gentlemen. Do you? Do you now? And change the stress and pressure of the fault, leading to increased seismic activities, according to Cochrane. These quakes tend to be shallower at this point. We do not think this is a natural variation. What the frack, ladies and gentlemen? What the frack? Um, now, to um, Arizona. And you, among the nutty ironies in the week's news, aside from Russia selling <laughs> planes to Iraq, I my head's still trying to get around that one. But um, another one of the great ironies in this week's news would be the what's now being called the botched execution in the state of Arizona of a convicted murderer. The uh, execution, in case you weren't following this story, took approximately two hours, approximately two hours for the convicted killer to stop gasping and snorting and finally cease existence. Um, At first, the governor of Arizona, Jan Brewer, said at least he didn't suffer like the people, the families of the people he killed. Uh, She then revised her comments later in the week to say, I'll, I'll get to her comments in a moment. The irony is that one of the chemicals in the cocktail used in Arizona's lethal injection, protocol. Now, I didn't say propofol. I said in, in, the, in, in their lethal injection protocol was midazolam. In case that chemical rings a distant bell with you, it should. It was one of the chemicals administered to Michael Jackson on the night he died. So maybe Arizona should, uh, before doing anything else, just uh, call Dr. Conrad Murray to run their executions. But Jan Brewer, the governor of Oklahoma, <laughs> of Arizona, did say later in the week that uh, she was going to uh, order an investigation of the uh, two-hour-long execution. She didn't say whether she was going to investigate its uh, causes or its possibilities. This world moves so fast today. One-hour dry cleaning, 15-minute parking, two-minute meals. Isn't there a place where you can just slow down? There sure is. It's a beautiful place. A very unique place. We love the Grand Canyon. Spent the whole day just walking around. I bought this Navajo blanket. The woman told me it took her two years to make it. She even said it slowly. Hi, I'm Jan Brewer, governor of Arizona. A place where life slows down a little. And so does death. Even our chopper trip over the canyon didn't last as long as that execution. So whether you're a tourist or just a prisoner, remember, Arizona, we take our time. And yours. See you soon in the state where the only thing slower than the food is the killing. And tell them Sheriff Joe sent you. A message from the Arizona Tourism and Prison Commission.
blue jeans on I put my old blue jeans on It's the weekend And I know that you're free Pull on your jeans Come on out with me Cause I need to have you near me I need to feel you This is the show from London, and now some uh, news about secrets and secrecy. Uh, following up on the interview uh, on this broadcast with Eve Smith a couple of weeks ago about the odd insistence by California's chief pen- public employee pension system on maintaining s- the secrecy of its uh, contracts with private equity firms it was investing pension money in, despite public disclosure laws. This from Providence, Rhode Island this week. Rhode Island Attorney General Peter Kilmartin's office has ruled against the Providence Journal newspaper in a dispute over records related to that state's pension system's investment in hedge funds. The paper initially sought the records from the uh, Treasurer's office after that office provided heavily redacted documents the newspaper appealed to the Attorney General. The assistant attorney general in a decision released this week, last week, rejected the journal's appeal, focusing on a section of the state's access to public records law that says records presented and discussed at a public meeting are always public. The assistant attorney general, Michael Field, hung his decision in large part on an interpretation of the plain language and meaning of the word submitted. The um, meeting minutes and recording documents and recordings, uh, minutes and recordings document the public discussion by the State Investment Commission of the reports at issue. There's no evidence to support the factual conclusion that the reports were, quote, submitted at a public meeting of a public body, said the Attorney General. Said the newspaper, the documents were discussed in open sessions of the State Investment Commission, which relied on them to decide whether to invest public employee pension money in hedge funds. The journal hasn't decided whether to appeal. What are they hiding? Got nothing to hide. Europe's top human rights court ruled this week that Poland allowed the CIA to detain two terrorism suspects at a secret prison on Polish territory where they were exposed to, quote, torture and inhuman or degrading treatment, unquote. In a 400-page ruling, 
The European Court of Human Rights said Poland violated the human the uh, European Convention on Human Rights and failed to properly investigate what had happened to Abd el-Rahim al-Nashiri, a Saudi national, and Abu Zabeda, a Palestinian born in Saudi Arabia, while they were in CIA custody. The CIA brought a number of suspected al-Qaeda members to the prison. While imprisoned on a military base in northern Poland, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed was waterboarded 183 times by a pair of CIA contractors. A CIA operative subjected Nashiri to a mock execution. For all practical purposes, Poland had facilitated the whole process, said the court had created the conditions for it to happen and made no attempt to prevent it from occurring, said the court. In the first judicial ruling on the rendition and interrogation program of the Bush administration, since there was that really detailed investigation by the Obama administration. Oh, no, there wasn't. The decision is a victory for human rights advocates. The court's decision rested on declassified U.S. documents, media reports, and other sources of information about CIA CIA activities in Poland. Mohammed and Nashiri are facing military commissions, trials for their alleged roles in the 9-11 attacks, respectively, and the attack on the USS Cole. Abu Zubaydah continues to be held without charge in the top-secret Guantanamo facility. U.S. officials however, have backed away from allegations that he was a high-ranking member of al-Qaeda. Oh, we're sorry about that. We just, with the tension and the waterboarding and the thing, did we say you were a high... They do say he was a facilitator for militants going to camps in Afghanistan. Does that mean driver? The court ordered Poland to pay $175,000 to Abu Zubaydah and $135,000 Nashiri. And according to Human Rights Watch, in some cases, the Federal Bureau of Investigation may have created terrorists out of law-abiding individuals by conducting sting operations that facilitated or invented the target's willingness to act. According to multiple studies, nearly 50% of the more than 5,000, sorry, 500 federal counterterrorism convictions resulted from informant-based cases. Almost 30% of those were sting operations in which the informant played an active role in the underlying plot. So it's it's easy to foil terrorist plots, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sorry, guys. Easy to foil terrorist plots when you create them in the first place. And now, the apologies of the week. We're so sorry. The communications director at the Ohio Department of Education apologized for a tweet from his personal Twitter account urging charter school opponents to take a break from debate over the schools and maybe, quote, get laid, unquote. John Charlton could face disciplinary action. He was responding to a tweet from a Democratic-leaning account suggesting that he had thought charter schools are okay no matter what shenanigans take place when he tweeted, quote, guys, it's after five on Friday. Take a break from the muckraking and enjoy the weekend. Maybe you can get laid, LOL. Charlton removed the tweet in the direction of the Department of Education Chief of Staff. We expect our employees to conduct themselves appropriately. In this case, the employee did not, and he regrets it. Charlton, who's on vacation this week, said, I apologize, I apologize if anyone was offended. It was certainly not my intent. It's my personal account, and I tweeted on my personal time after work. I was just trying to have fun. 
and ifpology, ladies and gentlemen. The Ohio Department of Education has launched an investigation into allegations of possible test cheating, attendance rigging, sexual misconduct, and other wrongdoing at a charter school in Dayton. Just a coinkydink. The CEO of Boeing, Jim McNerney, apologized Friday in a company-wide message for telling stock analysts this week that he won't retire after turning 65 next month because, quote, the heart will still be beating and the employees will still be cowering. McNerney's message called the remark, quote, a joke gone bad, unquote. Humor by amateurs, department. The comment incensed many workers and the company's unions were quick to pounce on it. What's a union? Machinist Union International President Tom Buff, Buffenbarger issued a statement decrying the unfunny and unnecessary remarks as a reminder that the, quote, Jack Welch style of anti-personnel management is still alive and well at Boeing, unquote. If he's able to get his foot out of his mouth, the very next thing he should do is a sincere apology to all employees at Boeing. McNerney's message says... Uh, uh, Boeing spokesman said McMurney's message went out before the machinist called for him to apologize. I beat you to it, guys. His message says in part, I was simply trying to make light of my age and tenure at the company on a question I've been asked at least a dozen times over the past several weeks. There was no intent to slight anyone but myself. And the last thing in my mind was to characterize my relationship with Boeing employees in any negative way. I should have used different words, and I apologize for them. I will definitely be more careful going forward. And the employees who protested... Better watch it. No, he didn't say that. Banco Santander Brazil, the Brazilian unit of Spain's biggest lender, apologized for a note sent to some of its high-income clients in Brazil, saying the economy would be worse if President Dilma Rousseff's chances of being reelected got better. The note in no way reflects the position of the institution. Santander said it on its website. It's a sorry bank today. A freshman lawmaker apologized this week after mistaking two U.S. officials for Indian nationals, saying he, quote, shot an air ball. I made a mistake in speaking before being fully briefed, and I apologize. I'm a quick study, but in this case, I shot an air ball, said Representative Kurt Clausen, Republican of Florida. Two U.S. officials, Nisha Biswal and Arun Kumar, he asked them at a hearing about, quote, your country and your government. They work at the State Department and the Commerce Department. And Dutch frustration with Russia in the wake of the MH17 crash is taking on an increasingly personal note. Some have called for Vladimir Putin's daughter to be deported from the Netherlands. Well, where's she going to buy her? Peter Brutjes, mayor of the city of Hilversum, Hilversum, Holland, hello, used a radio interview to call for 29-year-old Maria Putin, who's said to live in with her Dutch boyfriend, to be thrown out of the country. Brutches later apologized for his remarks via Twitter, saying they were not wise, but adding that they stemmed from a feeling of helplessness that many will recognize. Unquote. A, did you know Putin had a daughter? B, did you know she lived in the Netherlands? C? No, there is no C. I just mean, do you see? It's, uh, it's an educational broadcast here. Sorry about that. Really don't intend to uh, make you smarter in any, or more informed in any way, shape, or form. Hence, news of the atom. Clean 
Eddie, are those sweat stains on your on your uh, protons? No, just glad to see you. <laughs> Deadline Oslo. Sweden's top nuclear power generators have been forced to cut output because here we go again with this uh, paradox of how nuclear power is going to help a warming planet. Paradox. Yeah, don't even try. Sweden's top nuclear power generators have been forced to cut output because of exceptionally warm weather in Scandinavia. Their output could be reduced for over a week. Oskarsham, operated by Swedish utility Vattenfall. Or no, uh, sorry, Oskarsham and Forsmark, two plants, have both cut output because warm seawater temperatures are limiting their ability to cool down the reactors. For each degree above 73 degrees in the cooling water, each unit has to decrease power by 3%, Forsmark said. It is uncertain how long this will last, but according to meteorologists, the warm weather will last for at least 11 more days this year. It's uh, an anomaly. Temperatures exceeded 86 degrees in the southern part of Scandinavia this week, hitting their highest level in years. Never happen again. The Forsmark nuclear power generator has three units with over 3,000 megawatts of built-in capacity. Uh, We did report last year on similar events in U.S., nuclear plants where the cooling water, where the, where the bodies of water from which the cooling water was taken were too warm to cool. You said that like it's some kind of oddity. Last week marked the 10th anniversary of a federal reactor fire safety standard in the United States. 35 reactors, more than a third of the U.S. fleet, still don't fully comply with it, according to the Huffington Post. The NRC itself estimates that fire represents as big a risk for reactor meltdown as all other potential threats combined. And since 1995, there were more than 150 nuclear plant fires. Instead of issuing violation notices or shutting down plants until they comply, the NRC has spent the last three decades granting extension after extension and pushed the final deadline for compliance to 2018. So no smoking. No, no, I would think not. The manager of the Fook number one nuclear plant admitted Thursday that some of the tanks You're welcome. No, built to store the radioactive water churned out each day are made with used parts. Doesn't it just get better every day? Life? No, the whole Fukushima story. He insists their quality is fine for the purpose. Earlier this week it was reported Tepco was using at least twenty tanks that were previously used at other construction sites, according to the daily newspaper Mainichi Shimbun. Akita Ono, chief of the plant, said in a news conference, some of the flange-type tanks were built with used parts but insisted they were fit to hold tainted water. Flange-type tanks are assembled with steel plates bolted together and sealed with waterproof packing at the seams. They are less watertight than their welded counterparts. Ono said the utility uses new parts to bind the old plates and to secure their seals doesn't really matter whether they're new or used, says Ono. It's unclear how the high radiation or sustained exposure to seawater might be affecting the tanks. No, no effect. Really? No. How could it? TEPCO has been transferring tainted water to welded-type tanks when possible. 
because flange tanks are inherently leaky due to their many joints. Don't even. I didn't. No. TEPCO has announced they estimate some 1.1 trillion becquerels of radiation was released during debris cleanup operations at the Fook No. 3 reactor. 280 billion becquerel per hour releases. Some of the radioactive cesium which was released during the debris removal was found over 12 miles away in rice fields. The Fook plant is still estimated to be releasing 10 million becquerels per hour of radioactive material. I don't know how much that is. Yes, you do. You're an atom. You, if anyone. If there's one message to take from the National Academy of Sciences report this week, lessons learned from the Fook event, it is that accidents can happen and it's essential for nuclear plant regulators and operators to have plans for what to do when one does. This was a congressionally mandated report looking at the responses of Japanese facilities after the thing. Foremost in the report and the press conference, emergency managers, regulators, and nuclear plant operators need to pay better attention to beyond design basis events, BDBEs. Critics ask a a question, what if the backup systems the nuclear industry brags about fail or inadequate? Never happened. This was very much in evidence at Fook. The plant had backup generators, but the generators were knocked out by the tsunami. These X plus one scenarios have long been the focus of industry watchdogs. The National Academy of Sciences makes strong emphasis on the risk of these BDBEs that has not been adequately assessed. The report's authors stress there exists more and better information on the type of risk to the stability and security of nuclear power plants than is currently considered by operators and regulators. The opportunity exists, the report says, to expand the breadth and depth of the analysis. They also go into the light water paradox. In order to safely generate a steady stream of electricity, a light water reactor needs a steady stream of electricity. Cute. Very cute. Clean, cheap, safe. Is that it? Yeah, it is. Our friend, the Adam. Um, ladies and gentlemen, now a story of, of sort of monumental triviality, but uh, with, a, with an interesting point to it. When uh, KISS, the rock band, played San Diego recently, its co-founder and bass player gave an interview to UT San Diego in which he bragged about his uh, financial status. Quote, I've been a part of the 1% for the past 30 years. It's fantastic. The 1% pays 80% of all taxes. 50% of the population of the U.S. pays no taxes. The 1% provides all the jobs for everybody else. If the 1% didn't exist, there would be chaos and the American economy would drop dead. Try being nice to rich people. I don't remember the last poor person who gave me a job, unquote. Gene Simmons. You know how how I spell shameless, he says? P-R-O-U-D. Unquote. The Washington Post fact-checker fact-checked what he said when people do not pay income taxes it's often because of policies advocated by Republicans such as child tax credits and tax credits for the working poor. Simmons might be surprised to learn that he is a staunch Republican. About 44% of those who do not pay income taxes are in that category because they get tax benefits aimed at the elderly says the Post fact-checker while 30% benefit from tax credits for children or for the working poor. 
What about Simmons' claims that the 1% pays 80% of the taxes? Off base, the 1%, the top 1% actually pays about 20%, 26% of all federal taxes, according to the Tax Policy Center. Even if you count only income taxes, that works out to 34%. The top 1% pays just 4% of payroll taxes. The burden of those taxes falls more heavily on the lower and middle classes. The Washington Post fact checker gave Gene Simmons four Pinocchios. What might Simmons' reaction be? Just buy my effing merch You got no right to bitch I created your job You get to clean up after me You may not like it But it's called prosperity It may not be true 
And just finally, a little news of Nice Corp. In case you wonder whether that company is really nice. Rupert Murdoch got really upset at Rebecca Brooks and Andy Colson, who were editors of the tabloid newspaper News of the World, guilty uh, newspaper, and in Colson's case, he individually guilty of phone hacking. But Rupert wasn't mad at them about phone hacking. He didn't know they had been having an affair for years, according to the independent newspaper, not owned by Rupert Murdoch. He allegedly went nuts when he was given details about their affair before the phone hacking trial started. His alleged reaction to learning that his two former executives were uh, doing the thing was initially to order that neither of them would ever work for a Murdoch-owned company again. Nice. Nice court. I guess he thinks he's the only one who's allowed to screw... Oh, no, I didn't say that. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week, guys, at the same time, over these same stations, over NPR worldwide throughout Europe, the U.S. 440 cable system in Japan, around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network. (laughs) Up and down the east coast of North America, over the shortwave giant WBCQ, the planet, 7.41490. Oh, you find it on the shortwave dial. On the mighty 104 Berlin. Around the world via the internet at two different locations, live and archive whenever you want at harryshear.com and kcsn.org. Available for your smartphone through stitcher.com and available as a free podcast from wwno.org. Sideshow Network, SoundCloud, and iTunes. And be just like keeping your affair secret from Rupert. If you'd agree to join with me then, would you? Alrighty, thank you very much. Uh huh. A tip of the show chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Hawaii desks. Thanks as always to Pam Halstead. Thanks to Jenny Lawson at WWNO New Orleans and Adrian Bodnam here at Global Radio in London for helping with today's broadcast. More than 101,000 people follow me on Twitter at The Harry Shearer. Not saying you should, just pointing it out. Silly fact of the day. The show comes to you from Century Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans' flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from London.